Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. I want to encourage you guys uh, with this week coming up. Um, with this fast, uh, we felt like it was important um, in a 21-day fast, uh, we feel like it's very easy to get into the habit of fasting from something, but not fasting for something. One of the things that you're doing when you fast is that you're pulling or pushing away from a plate or social media in order to concentrate more on the Lord. And so we felt like it was important to create some concentrated time together. So here's what I want to remind you of. Again, we don't have the slides up here this week, but we want to remind you of this. Monday, we have a prayer and action meeting on Martin Luther King Day. But on Wednesday, on YouTube and Facebook, we will have a prayer time that we're going to be coming together each Wednesday during the fast and beyond, okay? And that's going to be a prayer time that we want to be able to focus on the things of God. And uh, a lot of you might have lunchtime, so you might not be able to make it. But for those of you that are able to pull away, uh, or lunchtime, you would be able to make it, amen? But I'm just saying... (laughs) If, if you might have a meeting during that time, we understand, but we tried to put it in the middle of the day so that uh, some of you all could break away, maybe even just for 15 minutes, but it's something to anchor you during this fast because we really want this year to be a year where you experience the overflow of God in your life. Amen? So don't forget about that Monday time with for Martin Luther King uh, time. That's 10 a.m. and then it's 12 p.m. this Wednesday. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, God, for the wisdom that you've given us through your word. We thank you for the presence that you've given us through your spirit. We thank you, God, that we get the opportunity to worship with your people. We now ask, God, that you would build the momentum of the spirit of God through us so that it would push us to higher heights, to live in ways we could not live on our own. And so we ask, God, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. Speak to us in such a way that we know that you have spoken. Amen. We're in a series now on the abundant mindset, the abundant mindset. And one of the things it's really important to establish early on within this message and within this series is that abundance is not just something you do from a uh, spiritual dynamic, but you're always living in abundance. You're always overflowing from what's inside of you. There's something you're meditating on, something that you're thinking about, something, a perspective that's weighing heavy on you, that's literally pushing its way inside of you, occupying your soul, and it's leaking out. For those of you that have been having fear, that fear is leaking out. For those of you, though, that have been having joy based upon the presence of God, that will leak out as well. We're always living in abundance. And this year, we're doing a fast because we want to concentrate on having God cause us to live in the overflow of his peace, the overflow of his joy, the overflow of forgiveness, the overflow of kindness, 
the overflow of joy. And when you overflow with his presence, it affects your home, it affects your family, it affects your friends, it affects your neighborhood. And we want you to live in the overflow of the presence of God because if you don't live in the overflow of the presence of God, you're already living in the overflow of the circumstances you're in. And that's why you're overwhelmed. You, you have all this pressure that you feel. That's all this anxiety you're going through. You're always having something leak out. And so we want his presence to leak from us, not anxiety. Amen. We want his joy to leak from us, not fear. And so this year, we pray that this would be a banner year in your walk with God. Not that circumstances would get better, but that you'd be more anchored in him this year. As we talk about the abundance mindset, uh, we talked last week about uh, godliness, and we were talking about walking in the Spirit, and we came from Psalm 23. There are essentially four marks of, of the abundant mindset that we're talking about through this series. The first is godliness. The second, which is what we're going to talk about today, is gratitude. Now, Godliness, we said, was devotion and action. That's why we're doing a devotional. We want you to build strong, concrete habits of walking in the Spirit, being in God's presence. But what flows from that is gratitude. Gratitude is a mindset. It flows from us understanding what God is doing in our life, who we have in our life, the things that he's given us, the things that he's done for us. Doctors Randy and Lori Sansone, they define gratitude this way. They say it's the appreciation of what is valuable and meaningful to oneself and represents a general state of thankfulness and or appreciation. Gratitude is the feeling that we appreciate and can see what God has given us. And it is competing with the natural temptation and the natural flow to, ha to, to have ingratitude. If you would think about it, ingratitude is all around us. Our inability to see what we have. It starts with what I would call the four C's of ingratitude. The first is criticism. You know, you see something you have in your life and you see it has problems because everything in your life has a problem. All the people, they're great, but they got a problem. The job is wonderful, but it has problems. And so you start to notice, this is not what I thought it was. You know, this thing, it's not what the thing I thought it would be. Hmm, I see something in the thing I have and I don't like it. You start to criticize what you have. But see, the next stage after criticism is consumerism because there's something to market to you what you don't have and tell you it's got something better over here. Consumerism is all around you. I'm not just talking about cars and clothes. I'm talking about people and things. I'm saying that the news feed you're in is telling you. That's why some of you got to fast from social media because you're constantly seeing things you don't have and wanting what you don't have and you don't see what you do have. It starts with criticism and the next stage is consumerism constantly marketing to you what you don't have. Well, then the next stage is comparison. You start to criticize a thing, and then something gets marketed to you through consumerism, and then you start looking at what you have. And look at this thing I have. Look at this relationship, this job, these people I have. Look at this church I have. And then you start to compare it to the things that are always on your newsfeed, the things you heard about, the things you see. And you start to weigh them. 
We started with criticism and moved to consumerism. And from there, you compare. And lastly, you covet. Because covet is just, I don't, want what I, I don't want what I got no more. I want what you have. You criticize the thing. Consumerism came and marketed to you something better. You compared what you had, and then you don't want what you have anymore. And I'm not telling you something that is just, oh, there's a few people in here that have this problem. I'm saying it's the air we breathe. And gratitude is the air we breathe. In fact, it's, it's part, of the, part, of our part, part of our life as sinners. You got to teach kids gratitude. You literally have to punk your kids to say thank you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Parents? We're just, you know, you go out, you hear some ice cream, and oh, here we go to the park, and how about we go get a balloon? They get a balloon, you're like, say thank you, you know, and you just like, oh, you intimidate them into appreciation. And even... And and here's what you know. Here's what you know as parents. You taught them the words, but they don't have it in their heart yet. You see, because there's a difference between saying thank you and being thankful. And that's why as parents, you say, if you meant it, you would have, right? Because you know it's not real in their heart. So in other words, some of us can learn gratitude as etiquette, but not as a spiritual discipline. To actually mean that we appreciate what we have. And so in order to get a child to not only say thank you, but to appreciate you, you've got to interrupt the flow that happens, the sinfulness in our soul. You've got to interrupt ingratitude. You've got to get in the way of it because it seeps into our hearts. Criticism, you've got to interrupt the criticism. You have to interrupt the consumerism. You have to interrupt the comparison and the covetousness. You've literally got to break the yoke that is so naturally flowing in us because it's like the air we breathe. Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers, at the 24th Annual Daytime Emmy Awards was receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award. Of course, those of you that know what Mr. Rogers was at the time was a show that many people in my generation grew up on. And he would always talk about, would you be my, could you be my, won't you be my neighbor? On for years. Well, finally, he won a Emmy, but it was a Lifetime Achievement Award. And you would think when someone comes up for a Lifetime Achievement Award, although they're going to talk about all the people they appreciate, the first thing that they would do is they would talk about themselves because it's their life. They're literally receiving an award for. Fred Rogers, and you could actually see this on YouTube, Fred Rogers did something very dynamic. As Fred Rogers got up there, he thanked the folks for giving him the award. But then he said, many of us have come here tonight, but the reason why we're here is because there are people who have loved us into being. That's a phrase he said. He said, how about we do this? Let's take 10 seconds, and I want to think about, I want you to think about 
Who helped you get here today? Then he said, I'll time it. <laughs> and he sat there for 10 seconds. And listen, people in the crowd started to cry. People all dressed up, thinking about all the accomplishments they had. And for 10 seconds, Fred Rogers totally changed the atmosphere. Where people were walking in there, all on their achievements, they were forced to think about who helped them get to where they were. Fred Rogers interrupted in, in gratitude. And for us to be able to look in our past to see God and people for what they've done for us, it will have to be an interruption because our soul always wants to move on to the next thing. And it is because of that that Jesus has to teach us this. Saints, gratitude isn't a matter of having things. Gratitude is seeing the value in what you already have. Jesus, in Luke chapter 17, has to teach this. Now, one of the things that you have to understand in Luke 17, 11, it says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus had been teaching and he had been crisscrossing all throughout Israel, preaching the kingdom of God. And as he preached the kingdom of God, he was healing. He was doing all this dynamic work, teaching on forgiveness. And as he healed, as he counseled, as he blessed people, he began to uh, not only do miracles, but he was healing people with particular problems. Luke 17, we're going to look at the story of 10 lepers. But one thing I want you to note is that in Luke chapter 5, he already healed lepers. So this story can't be about his ability to heal leprosy. This story is about something much greater. It's about our ability to see what Jesus does for us, not just the healing of our skin. Look in Luke chapter 17, verses 12 through 14. If you have a Bible, again, we don't have it up here on the screen, but we will. We do. Look at God. Now, normally we have a confidence monitor, but it's not on. So this is like an insecurity monitor. But this is, this is good. This is good. Well, look at Jesus. Luke 17. Oh, I just feel more confident now. And as he entered a village, he was, set, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. What do you have to understand about this text to see the point that Jesus is going to bring home later? What you have to understand is that lepers were culturally, socially, and spiritually isolated. This was within the law in Israel. If you were to look in Numbers chapter 5, verse 2, it literally says, send the lepers away, out of the camp. Leprosy was a junk drawer term. 
Leprosy had within it the other diseases. It was a term that other diseases would get couched under. So there's Hansen's disease and psoriasis and uh, lupus and ringworms and favus. But all these are highly contagious skin diseases. All these skin diseases oftentimes would cause you to have swollen areas of your body. It would affect your ability to talk. It would affect all the parts of your body where the skin and the flakes of your skin would fall off. Sometimes the disease would get so bad that even parts of your limbs would fall off. It would leave your voice feeble. It would leave you with an inability to barely walk. You would often have to crawl on the ground. Leprosy took all of your body, but not only your body, but it took all your social connections and networks because within the law, you had to be isolated. It says in Leviticus 13, 45, look at what it says. It says, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Why torn? So we can see the leprosy from far away. Let their hair be unkempt. Cover the lower part of their face like they're wearing a mask and cry out, unclean, unclean. You would be able to see lepers from far away, the unkept hair, the torn clothes, them crying out, unclean unclean. Imagine the shame. Imagine the loneliness. Imagine the isolation, the confusion, the disconnection, the weariness, the, the, the sense in which that they can't have relationships. One of the things that was noted about lepers is that they would often be so isolated that they would essentially create a tribe amongst the lepers. You wouldn't go back and visit your family because the minute you walk near your home, you'd have to yell unclean, unclean. You'd be afraid of touching your friends. You'd be afraid to even be around your mother. You were unclean. You're outside of the spiritual camp. I do want to make a note here. One of the great challenges of having a church is making a church with broken people that remain in a state of grace. Sometimes we forget when we were far off from God. And we, we forget when we didn't feel comfortable walking into church. We forget when brokenness was the pattern of our lives. For some of you, it's hard for, for you to walk into church. For some of you, being online is a much safer space because the people in here make you feel unclean. They make you feel like you're ostracized. As a church, we have to do the best job we can to create a space of grace so that no one would ever feel like isolation is better than community. That there's not enough grace here for me. You see, every time I preach, there's always people that walk up to me after and go, okay, so you know my business. I'm like, I don't know your business. Blame it on the ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. But see, sometimes people are walking in here and they're so trapped in their sin that they almost feel like they're yelling unclean, unclean. People are so convicted 
that they're like, you must know. I don't know, but he does. And just like Jesus ran to lepers, he runs to you. Because community with the people of God is always better than isolation in your room. Now, I don't want to, again, I understand we are in a pandemic. So I'm not coming against that. We have to be wise. But some of us, for some of us, our issues of isolation aren't just about health. Some of us, for some of us, it's about fear. For some of us, it's about disconnection. And even though this has started off about physical health, for some of you, it's crushing your spiritual health. And so I want to encourage you to look in this story and see how Jesus moves towards broken people. It says, they lift up their voices and they cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us. This word mercy, essentially what they're saying is, you are the only one that has power to change this desperate situation. And what the text tells us in Luke 17, Luke 17 and 14, he says, it says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now, Jesus could have literally said, you're healed. And he could have healed them and there had been no need to go to a priest. But I believe Jesus was doing something broader. When he tells him to go to a priest in Leviticus as well as Numbers, we learn that for someone to be healed of leprosy, they would then have to go to a priest and the priest would then have to do an examination. After the examination is done, they would then have to do a sacrifice. Once the sacrifice is done, they would still have to wait and see if the leprosy would come back. This was all an eight-day process. So imagine their excitement when he says, go to the priest. Because immediately when they say, when Jesus says, go to the priest, they're thinking, oh, I'm beginning this process of being cleaned. And so there must have been excitement within them. And it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. Now, the word cleanse there, it's the Greek word uh, katharis, and essentially means they weren't just partially cleaned. It says they were fully cleaned. All the parts of their body in which that had all the leprosy has now been fully cleaned. The legs that they could not use, now they could use. The voice that they could not use before, they now could use. Can you imagine not being able to walk for years and while you're limping along, you are able to walk? Can you imagine you could barely lift up your voice to say mercy and now you can use your full voice? You and I most likely would think about our families. We would think about all the friends we've missed. We would think about all the community and the connection because we've been so isolated. These are 10 lepers that are always together. And they're bound together in their leprosy. I think you and I would be excited. I think we would run. I think we would dance. But they move so quickly. And look what it says in Luke 17, 15, and 16. It says, then one of them. It says, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, 
praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then Luke thought it was important to add, now he was a Samaritan. Only one goes to praise Jesus. And I find it amazing that they heard him say, go to the priest. And while they're on their way to the priest, they get healed and they stop seeing and thinking about Jesus. Can you believe that there is the potential that you could be so excited about the next thing that you forgot who gave it to you. These people were so excited to get back to religious services that they forgot about the God that gave them the legs to walk. They were so excited about seeing the friends and the connections that they forgot about the one that gave them the voice to praise in the first place. Could it be that we can get into a pattern and habit that we're so excited about the next thing. I, I'm telling you this. Some of us even are excited. I love, I love that we're back in church. Praise God. But we should be just as excited about being in worship than we are being around our friends. This space is not defined by friendship. It's defined by worship. You could be in a space where your friendships aren't amazing, but Jesus is still amazing. And what I'm telling you is this church was never meant to be defined by how great a friendship you have. This is defined by the friendship we have with Jesus. Because you can, you can put priority over how great a friendships you have in here than how great a Savior we have in Jesus. You, literally, they run past Jesus to be with the people. Friends, it's the next thing. The next thing. The next thing. And the next thing will be so coursing through your veins that you forgot who gave you the last thing. Oh, the next thing. The next thing. The next thing. We're always wanting the next thing. The better thing. The brighter thing. The shinier thing. So much so that we ignore the one who gave it to us. What is it? that we can learn from the one-tenth of these lepers? What can we learn from the grateful leper? Well, it, it tells us that he saw that he was healed. And that makes me presume that they all saw that they were healed. What was it he saw that they didn't see? And in my imagination... I could see all nine of them starting to run and leap and dance and be excited, but I can just pause and think for a second in my spiritual imagination that one leper stopping and just taking a second and looking at himself. He's, he's running, but he says, wait a minute, I didn't have these legs. He's shouting, but he said, wait a minute, I didn't have this voice. In other words, he stops what he's doing to take an inventory about where he is and where he was. Why does he do that and they don't? And this is what Jesus says, and he was a Samaritan. And the Samaritans 
As many of you know, they were considered irreligious in some ways. They were considered half-breeds, that they did not know the things of God in the same way, outside of the camp, ostracized in many ways. It was the Jews that would presumably have the greatest insight into who Jesus is because they have all the insight into the Messiah. But it's the Samaritans who didn't understand worship in the right way. There's so much we can learn from people outside the church and not just people inside the church. Here's been my, I, 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 listen, I'm a preacher's kid, okay? So not coming for preacher's kids, amen? Or church kids. But people who tend to have a broken past and are not used to church tend to appreciate the little things. People who just, I mean, like really, the, the, the weight of sin was on their lives and they come into church and they just tend to have a greater sense of appreciation because they've tasted brokenness. They know pain. They know trauma. I remember doing college ministry. When I did college ministry, you tried to do a Bible study and everybody's like, yeah, so I mean in the Greek, what do you mean? And everybody wants to <laughs> say, be deep. Okay, okay. But I heard, oh, I've heard that before. Poof, heard that on YouTube the other week. Did you get that from? No, I didn't get it from. I got it from the word. Okay, okay. I know the word. You know, and everybody's just like, but you want, you want to hear appreciation? Prison ministry. Seriously. When, I, when I've done prison ministry and been with prisoners, they, listen, I walk through there like, you need some water? Boom. They sit me down. I'll be, I, literally, I'll open up the text and be like, amen. They're like, yo, that's it. That's it. You spoke in my life. Come here, you spoke in my life. I'm like. Because they're in the state, a constant state of knowing they have nothing. And we, we don't want to be, we don't want brokenness to be our address, right? Where we always have to be reminded. We have to present ourselves in a way where we do inventory over our lives. You've got to interrupt ingratitude. You've got to interrupt it. You've got to get in its way. Because it's so a part of everything around you. You'll feel it this week. Ingratitude's going to knock on your door. There's something that's going to say what you have isn't enough. And there's nothing wrong with criticism. There's a problem when criticism is the pattern of your soul. Because consumerism's right down the street. And there comes comparison. And covetous is like, look, ain't no way you like where you are at right now. Covetous is always saying, I've got something better. It was the next thing. It was the next thing. And the Samaritan said, I, I'm, 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 I'm just glad to have this. I can't believe I'm walking now. He interrupted himself from going to the priest. I also want to note, Jesus didn't say, come back and worship me. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hallelujah. All right, so <laughs> look, 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 at what, look what it says. Verse 17 through 19. Then... Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where 
are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, note what he says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Oof, so much to unpack here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. At the, end, at the end here, it says, has made you well. And what we learn there in many translations the idea of being made well, it's the same phrasing that you'd see in the rest of the New Testament for salvation. And so this imagery here is, can help us to see that this, this one leper is most likely the one that gave himself to Christ and got saved. The, the one that created a private space with Jesus. In other words, there was only one, the one that was furthest from him religiously, is the one that created spy, private space with him socially, but the other nine went to a religious service. That's what you have to see. Nine of them went to a religious service. One of them went in front of Jesus. But you also, I, I ain't got time. I ain't got time. There's a lot that I can say there. But, the, but, the, but, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I think there's something I just don't want to lose here. Nine of them that didn't come back I still believe Jesus is the same Jesus that has the wisdom to know what is happening before the world began. In other words, Jesus knew they weren't going to come back and give him praise, but he still healed them. Could it be that we serve a God that heals ungrateful people? And could it be that my Jesus gives health care to even the unsaved? that maybe he cares about the holistic side of people, that even if you're not saved, I care about your body. That even if you're not saved, I want you to be whole. That even if you're not saved, I want to make sure your body is working well. I serve a Jesus that cares about salvation and physical wholeness all at the same time. But I also believe that this Samaritan, he takes a moment and he pauses but we can't lose the warning here church the warning because if you look in the text it says rise and go your way this means that this man came fell at the feet of Jesus He's worshiping him. He's giving him praise. And Jesus must have been looking down at him and says to him, we're not 10 cleansed. And I know if I was him, I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. I'm here talking to you, Jesus. Like, well, I'm just, why don't you talk to me about me, right? You would think that Jesus, watch this, you would think Jesus would appreciate the praise. You'd think Jesus would be like, oh man, get up, get up, man, stop. People don't know a good miracle nowadays, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus' immediate response is, 
Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where are the nine? And when Jesus does this, this is what haunts me. It means that Jesus is acutely aware of every miracle he's ever done for someone. Where are the nine? Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did 10 miracles. Where are the nine? I, I, know, I know I changed something in that person's life. Where is the praise? And I believe that Jesus's math is, I heard the request, I did the miracle, where's the praise? I remember when you were broken, I changed your whole life, where is my praise? I remember when you couldn't make rent, but now you want a car, where is the praise for the rent? I remember when you didn't know anybody in this city, now you have friends, don't forget about me. I'm the one that gave you that. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? And our ability to be ungrateful is coming because we're always thinking about the next thing. But what haunts me about this text is that Jesus has not forgotten about the last thing. He's very acutely aware of everything he's done. And I want, in my walk, I don't want him to say where. And I believe what we have to do is we have to take inventory. We have to interrupt ingratitude. We have to pause and reflect on what God has given us. You see, Samaritan didn't just run to the next thing. He was reminded of the thing that he had right there. And if I could, the abundant mindset is when you have godliness and gratitude flows from you. But I believe that gratitude is not just what flows to God, but it should also flow to people. That you're reminded of the good things about people. Because people are so hungry for appreciation. Like Mr. Rogers, have you thought, have you interrupted your day and just thought about the people that have helped you to become who you are? The people that have loved you? The people that have thought about you? When I was a young preacher, uh, I was probably about 29. I was preaching at this church. And my first three sermons, boy, I mean, I just cracked a home run, just watched it go. I was like, yep. And that fourth sermon, see, there's something about the dis. Come on, Russell. That there's some, the, you know, because you got all this energy and all these ideas. And then second week, you're like, ooh, you know what I'm saying? The third week, you're like, <coughs> and then you get to that fourth week and you run out of ideas. And the creativity is not flowing. And I was preaching there month after month, and it felt like every week was a fourth week. The church I took over, the mother of the former pastor still went to the church. 
And I thought her name was Mrs. Rochelle. And I thought Mrs. Rochelle was going to be my biggest adversary because her son left and there was problems and all these problems. And, and man, I was hitting one of those fourth week sermons where I was like, you know what I'm saying? So y'all, y'all ain't with me. And people literally were not with me. They were not. They were like, we're not. We're not. <laughs> And listen to me, every week, Mrs. Rochelle, about five foot one, all this gray, well, I got gray hair now too, but praise the Lord, all this little gray hair, she'd come up to me and she'd grab my hand in her hands and she'd go, baby, you did a good job. You did a good job. You don't think about those people. You did a good job. And you keep on preaching. Because you're going to come into what God has for you. Thanks, Miss Rochelle. Thank you. And then she would do it again. And boy, then, then, and then I'd preach a really good sermon. She, she'd still, you did a good job. You just keep on preaching. Her son would eventually take the church back over. Every time I talk to her son, I say, I want you to know your mother's gratitude carried me. It carried me. And I want you to know there's appreciation and gratitude inside of you for people that need to hear it. There are people in your life that have loved you, that have cared for you, that think well of you. And what they need to hear is, you carried me. I still think about that. And, it, and there's never enough appreciation. And we want to be people of gratitude. We want to be people who teach gratitude. And when the work of the Spirit is flowing in your life, Gratitude works vertically and horizontally where people around you feel that you see them and they see the things. They see the things that you've done for them and they've done for you. Let us be those people. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the work of the Spirit in our lives and we pray, Holy Spirit, that even now, let us not just move on to the next thing. Rather, Father, would you help us to see the very things that you've given us, the very ways that you've carried us. And we pray a blessing, God, blessing over our lives that we'd overflow, that we'd see all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. 
Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.